So the reading is John uh, 21, verse 15 uh, through to the end. Uh, You can find this on page 1005 of the the Blue Bibles and 529 of the Sinner Bibles. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Thanks, Sal. Well, how has your walk with Jesus been this last year? It's one of those questions that it's easier to ask from the front, isn't it, than to ask in person. But think about it for a second. How has your walk been with Jesus this last year? If you're not walking with Jesus yet this morning, can I encourage you to think about how your past year would have been different if you had been walking with Jesus? It's sometimes hard to measure, isn't it, our walk with Christ? I mean, what sort of measures do you use? How frequent your quiet times are when you read uh, the Bible and pray, or how much emotion you feel, or how much you've learnt about God, or how much sin you've overcome in your life? None of those really give us a full picture, do they? Well, I want all of us to be walking closer to Jesus this year. And three things that God has laid on my heart to share with you uh, for this year. I've tried to make, I tried originally to make them all alliterate and sort of neat. But I didn't want to be too clever this morning. I want to be uh, from the heart. And I want to confront you with God's word. So our first point is if we are serious about loving Jesus, we will care for his sheep. Jesus here at the end of John's Gospel is reinstating Peter into the Twelve. 
Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter, who had claimed that he would follow Jesus even to death, even if the other disciples wouldn't, denied that he even knew him. So Jesus' question then is quite pointed, isn't it? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Are you still claiming that you're better than all the others, Peter? Do you know, it's actually, he doesn't call him Peter, does he? He calls him his birth name, Simon. Peter means the rock, but here he sort of dropped that name. Do you love me more than these? But Peter, it would seem, has humbled himself a lot, himself a lot over the past days. Old Peter, you can imagine him sort of charging and saying, yes, yeah, even if those guys, they don't love you, I love you, Lord. You can imagine him, can't you? But boastful Peter is gone. I think he knows now what he's capable of. Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. He gives him a straight, a simple answer. But Jesus goes on to ask him three times. And it upsets Peter, it grieves him. I mean, could you imagine a husband asking a wife this? You know, do you love me? Well, in the first place, that's quite a hurtful question to start with, isn't it? Imagine if then the husband said, really? Really? It casts doubt on what the wife is saying, doesn't it? It's hurtful in a way for Peter. But there's more to it than that. You see, Peter denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus asks him three times if he loves him. Perhaps Peter realises this. His denials have cast doubt on his answer that he says he loves Jesus. But I don't want to focus on any of these parts this morning. I want to focus what Jesus, what Jesus says in response to Peter's claim to love him. I mean, there are two set responses normally when someone that you love says that they love you, aren't they? You can either say, I love you, too. You know, that's, that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it, if you're a normal person. Or if you're a Star Wars fan, you say thank you, like Han Solo and Princess Leia do in, in the Star Wars films. And yes, I am implied by that, that Star Wars fans aren't normal people. But Jesus' answer is different, isn't it? It's not, I love you back, it's not thank you. In response, he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, people have tried to find different meanings to each one, but it's really missing the point. What he's saying is, if you love Jesus, the good shepherd, you will care for his sheep. That's what he expects those who love him to do. If we love Jesus then we're to care for his sheep. More than that, we'll feed them. That's an interesting detail, isn't it? What is he talking about there? Well, verse 15 mentions breakfast. You know, is he talking about lunch? No. In John, Jesus talks about his flesh being food. But it can't be that either. No, the food that he's talking about is the food of the word. John Calvin writes in his commentary on this that he was assigning Peter... The duty of teaching. He was to shepherd the sheep under Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. And Peter himself uses that language in 1 Peter. But the duty was not given to Peter alone. All believers are to tend the flock. All believers are to teach one another. I've put on the back of your notice sheets, uh, a bit longer than the bit we had earlier. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 
You see there, all of us are to tend one another. Sure, some are set apart as elders, but their work is to equip others for works of service. That's what it tells us in Ephesians. So all of us are to teach, feed, and care for one another. Now, I hope that's not a new idea to you, that all of us are to teach and encourage and build up one another. That's part of who we are as Christians. Whether we're introverts or extroverts, whether we're men or women, all of us are tasked with this. Not all of us are to be up front, but in dozens of conversations that we have, as Richard was talking about earlier, in speaking the truth in love into different situations in people's lives. Actually, all of us are to be involved in this ministry. What Jesus does here, though, is he links it with his love for him. It's not an accident that this is Jesus' reply to Peter's claim to love Jesus. Jesus connects the two together. If we love Jesus, we will feed and care for his sheep. So do we love Jesus? If so, what are we doing for his sheep? Are we tending one another? Are we teaching one another? This is the means that God has given his people to grow. So this year, we need to be involved in this. If we're serious about loving Jesus, we will care for his sheep. Secondly, if we're serious about following Jesus, it will involve personal sacrifice. Jesus in the passage goes on to prophesy, doesn't he, about what will happen to Peter. He tells him how he'll be led to his death. That's really what he's talking about. John tells us in verse 19. Just as Jesus died bringing glory to God, so Peter will die giving glory to God. Now tradition tells us that Peter was crucified as Jesus was, but he refused to be crucified the same way, so he was crucified upside down. It's a very old tradition. Old church fathers like Oregon and um, Tertullian both wrote about it. And it would certainly fit with the idea of his hands being stretched out, as it talks about there in verses 18 and 19. What is telling here, though, is that only after telling Peter this, does Jesus say, follow me. It's as though he's saying, this is what lies ahead for you, Peter, a gruesome, horrible death, out of your control, just like I uh, died in a way, though of course Jesus was in control. He's saying, follow me into death. That's really what he's inviting Peter to do, to die. And in some part, his sacrifice is for others like Jesus was. Jesus was to take away our sin. Peter isn't going to die like that. But Peter is going to die serving others, isn't he? A sacrificial death for others. What Jesus is saying here is that following Jesus cannot be separated from personal sacrifice. Every invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to die. Not exactly a martyr's death like Peter... But it will mean dying to ourselves daily. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take his cross up daily and follow me. And that's Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's getting there slowly. Following Jesus will mean personal sacrifices every day. Calendar sacrifices. The most precious commodity in our world today, perhaps more than money or oil or diamonds, is time. 
For all of us, it's limited, isn't it? Every hour that we give up for Jesus is a sacrifice. Time we could be spending with our family. Time we could be having as me time. Time we could be spending on hobbies. Time we could be resting. Giving up that extra bit of time a week for our maturity that we talked about before. It's a sacrifice. That doesn't mean we can't be smart, does it? We can spend time with our family and with other people. We can do our hobbies and get to know people there, for example. Even if it's stamp collecting. Do you know, I discovered this week there's a stamp collecting society and a stamp collecting convention. Even if your hobby is stamp collecting, probably the most solitary uh, thing you can do, you can still meet people. You can still minister to people. Even train spotting, you don't have to stand alone, do you? But I don't want you to be naive. Following Jesus will involve sacrifices of time. It's part of our dying every day. It will involve emotional sacrifices. Now, following Jesus frees us from a lot of emotional baggage, doesn't it? Our guilt, our shame. But may I delicately suggest that it also creates a lot of emotional baggage too. Relationships that fall apart because of our commitment to the gospel. The emotional pressure from friends and family who treat us differently because of our faith. The alienation that we can feel when we're left out of things that the rest of the world runs headlong into. The feelings of rejection we can feel when folk leave or wander away from the faith. All this can add up, can't it? And they're part and parcel of following Jesus in this fallen world. We can take them to the Lord in prayer. We can take comfort from one another. But they are emotional sacrifices that we make. That others don't have to make. They're part of our dying every day. And there are physical sacrifices that we make. For some of us, following Jesus will make us ill. Yep, I just said that. It's not the health, wealth and prosperity gospel this morning, is it? As we involve ourselves in the lives of his other sheep, it can be stressful. We will be rightly concerned for other people, won't we? At times we might pull out our hair for them. There you go, losing hair for the kingdom. That's my excuse. I'm leaving it. As we care for the poor and needy, we may pick up diseases. As we accept hospitality with another, we may get food poisoning. I nearly did once. I'll tell you the story afterwards if you like. There's no one here. <laughs> there are some here this morning I know who've been physically assaulted for their gospel witness. When Paul in Corinthians talked about the apostles being a spectacle for the world, I wonder whether that's what was in his mind partly. Men covered in scars and bruises and cuts and scrapes. Not impressive, physically broken for the gospel. They involve financial sacrifices. The gospel touches our wallets and our purses too. Even the legendary wallets and purses of Yorkshiremen that are heard of but never seen. I say that, but actually, here this morning, we've got an amazingly generous church. Do you know that you've given, over the past year, nearly £40,000 to church this year? We don't talk about money much, do we? But that's what it is, that's the figure. I'm constantly overwhelmed by the generosity of our church family. We don't talk much about money, but it's a sacrifice. It's fewer holidays. It's not so many meals out. It's shopping at Sainsbury's rather than Waitrose. Or maybe even Lidl rather than Sainsbury's. Following Jesus means making daily and weekly sacrifices for the kingdom. And I need to keep reminding myself that as I ask people in church to serve sacrificially, I'm not asking people as a favour for me. 
I'm asking them to serve their Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to ask ourselves this question this morning. Am I making sacrifices for the Lord? Is serving Jesus costing me? If it isn't, can I respectfully suggest that you need to take a serious look at your walk with God? Jesus demands our lives. So it should make a difference to our calendar. It should make a difference to our emotional state. It should make a difference to our bank account. If it doesn't, then I don't think we've understood what following Jesus means. It should turn our lives upside down, shouldn't it? Jesus is calling us to make sacrifices for the gospel, to die daily for him. If we are serious about following Jesus, it will mean personal sacrifice. And it has done right since he first issued the call. And then lastly, if we're serious about serving Jesus, don't compare yourself with others. Perhaps there is still a bit of the old Peter there. After uh, all, even the great apostle Peter was a work in progress, wasn't he? As all of us are. Jesus hadn't finished changing him yet. What about him? Peter asks. As though he's saying, well, I've got to die this horrible death. What about him? What will he have to do? He wants to know how his future compares with the other disciples. But Jesus sees right through it and rebukes him. And he does it with a shocking statement. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? Follow me. What if, what if I kept him alive until the second coming? What if he never died? What if he never had to go through what you will have to go through? What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Don't look what everyone else is doing. Don't keep glancing to the side to compare yourself with them or your lot with theirs. I've told you to follow me, not them. He's saying, don't go comparing yourself to them. I've given you a job to do. I am your master, not them. And I think this is one of the biggest dangers for us as a church and as for individuals as well. As individuals, it can be so tempting, can't it, to compare yourself to others. You might compare yourself to others in sacrifice. You might be tempted to think, it's way harder for me. Why am I being asked to go through this when nobody else is? It might be illness. It might be family troubles. It might be financial problems. It might be even our conscience. I, in my understanding of scripture, can't go along with what those other Christians are doing. Well, in such a case of this, Paul in Romans 14 writes to those Christians that they will all stand before the judgment seat of God, not each other. And it's to his own master that he stands or falls. God has given each one of us a path. We cannot walk someone else's, only the one that God has given us. And God doesn't make mistakes in the path that he gives us. In fact, his plan for each of us is designed to make us more like his son, Jesus. Some of us need lifting up. We have heads bowed in false abasement, not understanding the great privilege of the gospel. Some of us need laying low and our pride dealing with. God knows what is best for each one and he gives us what we need. He sometimes gives us as well what we need to help others. Let's us go through things that we might be able to be equipped to have compassion on those facing similar situations. But each has his own path. So there's no point in comparing your sacrifices to, some, 
to someone else's. But it's also tempted to compare our sin. You might be tempted to look around and think, I'm not all that sinful. But of course that's nonsense, isn't it? Why should the sinfulness of other people decide how sinful you are? It'd be like a miner covered in soot looking at other miners with less soot or more soot and saying, oh, I'm quite clean, really. It might look so in comparison, but in the clear light of day, it would look very different, wouldn't it? What is it to you that others are muckier? What does the Bible say? The Bible is our mirror. The world around us is not our mirror. Look at yourself in the Bible, in the mirror of God's word, and you'll get a true assessment of yourselves. It can work the other way around too as well. You might be tempted to look around and think, I'm very sinful compared to so-and-so. I must be way worse than everybody else. But what difference does it make how sinful other people are? Do you think maybe they're better at hiding it? It's probably the truth, isn't it? You might be tempted to think that people at church don't sin. But what does the word say? If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. So looking around does no good. We need to look at the word. But can also be tempted to compare in our service. I worry about this sometimes. Sometimes I feel so mediocre in my service. And I know that others in here struggle with that too. The temptation is to say, well, I'm basically doing the same as everybody else. That's enough, right? But is it? What does it truly look like to take up our cross daily? Are we selling it short because UK church culture is generally so lukewarm? Again, we need to come back to the word. What does God tell us through the Bible? What does it really look like to follow Jesus? Never mind what everyone else is doing. What will you do? And it's also true as a ch- for us as a church this year too. It will be tempting as a church to compare ourselves to what other churches are like. In our size. Oh, if only I was as big as XYZ church, then we could do this or that. Oh, if only we had X number of people, we could do this. Numbers are helpful, but they're no magic bullet. A small group of people on mission can be much more powerful for the kingdom than a large group of people who aren't. A church like that, however large, will never make any impact on the community around it. It'll just sit there. It'll be tempted to compare our situation. If only this were the case or that were the case. If, if we only we had a building like a mega church with a Starbucks. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Well, maybe not. Or if only we had a pastor like John Piper or Tim Keller. If only we were part of, uh, in a part of the world that was more responsive to the gospel. But just as every person has their own path, so every church has its own path. What works in one place might not work in another. Otley is unique. Ilkley is unique. So our church needs to be unique. An off-the-shelf church will just take us off the path. So if you're serious about serving Jesus, don't compare yourselves to others. It will only lead to pride if you feel you're better than them, despair if you feel you're worse, or envy if you really want what they've got. So those are the three things that God has laid on my heart this year. There is a way forward, but it will involve us all taking responsibility for each other, caring for his sheep. It will involve personal sacrifice on all our parts in response to the gospel. And it will involve finding our own path 
rather than comparing ourselves to others. If we want to walk closer to Jesus this year, we can do no better than heeding his own words. So how has your walk been with Jesus this year? Well, let's pray that however it's been, whether good or bad, that we would all be closer to him this year. Let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge that when we look at the challenge of the gospel, Father, we feel overwhelmed. Father, we know that you call us to take up our cross daily. But Father, you don't leave us alone to do that. Father, give us the strength that we need. Father, give us the encouragement that we need. And pray that as we care for one another, we might find encouragement in each other and be spurred on in the race. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.